Canucks Central in the Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. We're in the uh, Kintec studio, and it's continuing draft coverage. And draft coverage brought to you by the Vancouver Giants, showcasing NHL prospect talents, both drafted to the Calgary Flames over the last two days. Samuel Hanzik and Jaden Lipinski come watch NHL talent in action this season. Go to VancouverGiants.com slash tickets. It's, uh, since it's the draft, and since we've done so much draft coverage, we decided, well, why not do a draft central mailbag or a draft centric mailbag? Ooh, love it. Let's do it. Producer Josh Elliott Wolf has compiled all of your questions. I do the compiling. You do the, the compiling. Yes. So people know. Were there questions about this? I, I saw somebody say, uh, let me see if I can find this somewhere. Someone was mad at Zat that he never picks critical questions. Yeah. He says that oh. he just avoids them. Let me see. Let me what, see. what would be a critical question for our mailbag? Are people critiquing us? I mean, it's, I mean. No, Dan it's the- smacks his lips too much. <laughs> Stop sucking your teeth, Dan. Why do you smack your lips so much, Dan? Why do you pronounce names the way you do, Dan? So I have it here. It says, why bother submitting questions oh, right. when Sat won't even pick it, or Satyar won't pick any that are even mildly critical? Oh, like my you mom. can tell he's angry when he said Satyar. Full name. I say my full name, Satyar. Every time I hear Satyar, I'm like, what? Am I in trouble? <laughs> um, Groovy Pippin on Twitter. Yeah. Ah, here's, Groovy. What, here's what I'll say. Yes. I don't pick the questions that are openly... Like, just insults disguised as questions. Right. Ah. If you want to be critical, submit it yeah. in a in a way that makes sense and is an actual question. Yes. And I'll read it. Yes. Such as. Like, or, like, it's like the art of Canucks like this and, yeah, anyways. Okay, go on. Go yeah. On, go on, go on. Such as this one from uh, Quinn. Well, this is kind of just fun. Is the front office scouting staff aware that other countries d- exist besides Sweden? <laughs> Uh, well, according to Patrick Alvin, uh, he blames his scouting staff for that. So yeah, he uh, he was uh, surprisingly jovial yes. yesterday when we had Patrick Alvin on. He was cracking jokes with us yes. and everything. He's like, "Can't believe they did that to me again." <laughs> Talking about his scouting staff making him draft another Swede. Uh, I mean, I- I'm always going to be happy when Swedes get drafted because you know I'm partial to that. But I, I just look at it and I say, like, like dude, he's, he's really good. Uh, it just so happened last year was best player available, and this year uh, was best player available. Can't believe the scouts are doing that to him again. I know. Uh, there, there has been a uh, look. If the Canucks can like somehow corner a Swedish part of the market, yeah. you know they got Nils Oman. They seem to uh, convince Philip Johansson, who looks a lot more promising now than he did when the Canucks signed him last year. So. You know, maybe maybe there is something to Alvin's Swedish influence that's helping the Vancouver Canucks. I will say, since 2014, when you look at Swedes the Canucks have drafted, Gustav Forsling. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, sorry, and then they didn't draft someone for a couple of years. Then it was Elias Pettersson. Ah, that one worked out. Christ- Not bad. Christopher Gunnarsson, who was in the fifth round. Uh, someone else in the... Seventh round, Arvid Kosmar. Remember him? That yeah. was fun. Yeah. Uh, Niels Hoaglander, Victor Persson, mm-hmm. Lucas Forcell, Jonathan Myrenberg, Hugo Gabrielson, and uh, Lekromaki last year, DPD yeah. last year, and now uh, the couple this year. Yeah. Some success drafting out of Sweden. It's usually pretty good. It's not bad. The Swedes have worked out for this organization, especially. But they also drafted some Canadians this year. 
And for all those wondering, giraffes yeah. are Canadians. Uh, all right, next. Nomad, why was the focus on players with ceilings of AHL depth? Um, <laughs> I don't think the Canucks would view their depth as uh, AHL depth. So, you know, while you may feel that is the case, um, it may not be to Todd Harvey, who we had earlier on in the show and, you know, spoke, spoke glowingly about some of these players, their two-way intelligence mm-hmm. and those types of things. Look, the, the Canucks are clearly prioritizing something and prioritizing traits that may be not everyone else is on the draft floor. Now you may look at that and say, oh, they're giving smartest guy in the room vibes to you. And that's fair. It's fair criticism, I might say. But at the same time, just understand that they don't, they clearly don't view it that way when they're drafting these players. Oh, this guy's going to be great AHL depth. I don't, I don't think they see it that way. No, but I will say that uh, Todd Harvey the other day in a pre-draft interview mentioned in a quote to IMAC that you know, when, when it comes to drafting guys in the later rounds, getting guys that even play games for you is huge. Guys that compete for spots even the AHL level is huge. Was that a bit of a giveaway to maybe where they were leaning towards, looking at this draft and saying, hey, we think there is value in these types of players here in this year's draft because we feel like these guys can compete and maybe give us some games, but the ceiling clearly is limited. So I, I would go by kind of that rationale using what he himself said and... I think that does tell you it's a lower ceiling, but clearly what they feel like is a way to backfill the organization. All right, next one comes from Guillaume. Do you think the Canucks could have traded down and still picked Willander, or do you believe there were other teams as high on him? I mean, what, Buffalo If I knew, I would probably be working for an NHL team. But, right. Um, so there was speculation that they were talking with Buffalo. Yes. Right? Kevin Adams and Patrick Alvine seen having a conversation or yeah. Kevin Adams picking up the phone at the last minute before the Canucks went up to get their pick. Um, it comes down to Arizona, who was selecting there at 12 and ended up taking Daniil Boo or Boot. And could Arizona have gone back-to-back defenseman after selecting Simashev at six? I think the options were there. Alvin mentioned it as much to us last night that there were calls about 11th overall to potentially move down, and the Canucks just felt that it was not something they were willing to do because they wanted to make sure they got their hands on Willander. Yeah, I think there was a few teams interested, and I think they were worried, to your point. I think uh, there was a sense that Buffalo was going to take Benson. But what happens at 12? Does Arizona pick him, or do they trade out for somebody that wants to jump up and get Willander all of a sudden because Benson goes 11? And I think considering how highly they ranked Vlander, they were just too afraid of him not being available. And, I mean, it's hard to say, like you said, if I knew the answer, if we knew the answer, we'd, uh, we'd, we'd uh, be employed and getting paid a lot of money in the NHL right now. And I don't think anybody really knows for sure. But I think the chance was decent enough where it was too much of a risk for the team to take. All right, next one comes from... AEM, how much was character a factor when choosing between Zach Benson and Tom Melander? Oh, impossible to know. But I'd say that the character on Willander was something they loved for sure. Yes. I can't, we don't know enough about Benson because they didn't talk about Benson. But yeah, 
Harvey mentioned it to us, uh, just how much they valued the character of Willander. Um, impossible to know. Both players exhibit uh, a competitive drive that is in- incredibly admirable. Mm-hmm. So to pick between those two on character is something that's very difficult for us to assess. Easier to say they valued the right shot defenseman more than potentially a winger. They interviewed Benson, which tells me they interviewed guys in the same tier that they yes. had. And clearly they viewed the righty defenseman as being the deal breaker compared to a winger on their tier. Yeah. Best skater in the draft. They, for all we know, they may have had Willander as their number one ranked defenseman in, in the draft. Right, they, yeah. they, wouldn't, they wouldn't admit that to us, but yeah, I, 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 they're clearly very happy to get Willander. I think between him and Reinbacher, I yeah. think they were also very high on Reinbacher. But it was, there was a sense that he was going to go high and he went yeah. fifth overall. All right, next one from Austin in Langley. For rebuilding teams, how much should, quote, this guy won't jo- join the team for a few years affect who you pick? For rebuilding teams. Uh, so... I think every team should look at most draft picks with the idea that they're not going to show up for at least a couple of years. Yeah. Right? Like, how many guys outside of the top 10 really do show up in a short order? Like, Wyatt Johnston showing up to the Dallas Stars last year and playing as big a role as he did and playing as well as he did is a rarity in the NHL. It just doesn't happen all that often. So... I don't think that like it should be for just rebuilding teams, Austin. I think this is something that most teams, when they're going up to the draft board, they don't think about that player showing up to their organization for two to three years. And that's why you can't completely just, in the National Hockey League, draft for organizational need, for positional need, because the position you need today may not be something that you need two or three years from now. And that's always part of the equation. Yeah, and, and I think part of the question I'm assuming is um, related to Michkov and mm-hmm. guys that maybe are you know aren't going to come over for like three years or something like that. How much should that be a concern? It shouldn't be a concern because, like you mentioned, most guys would take that long anyways. And if anything, if you're getting that high a talent of player a few years down the road, chances are when he comes in, he'll impact the game more in ELC than a player that comes in early and has to still find his way. I, you know... Look, did, did Philadelphia select Michkov because, you know, they're not worried about their team for the next three years and maybe other other teams are? Um, I, I don't think Will Smith is, is showing up on San Jose's doorstep uh, in the next year. Maybe towards the end of next season he plays a few games, but even that seems a little bit unlikely. It's, you know, it's tough with these players to project when exactly they're going to make it to the NHL, but with Michkov... You know, in three years' time, you're probably getting a guy that you're dropping into your top six right away. Next one comes from Eric. Low-skill, high-IQ players seem to be a trend for this organization. What's the play there? What are they looking for? Is it if you acquire as much coal as possible, there's a higher chance of a diamond? (laughs) Uh, I mean, that's a good way of putting it. I think it goes back to what we mentioned before. Um, They're clearly looking at identifying certain players that can play certain roles for them. And it's not going to be very high in the line necessarily. Mm-hmm. But instead of having to go out there and spend all this money on third pair defensemen and, and bottom six defensemen, instead of bottom six forwards, 
can you develop those guys internally and have them come up as options instead of going out and spending assets and money on doing so? I think that's really the calculation on this because last year they took Lakaramaki, who was the guy who was the farthest away, the youngest winger, a guy who was a project, a bit of a project, it's going to take some time, but an uber-talented high-ceiling player. Yeah. So I think it just comes down to, I think, not so much that they prioritize that, but in this draft... They prioritize players that they feel like can can play roles for them clearly in the middle rounds. It's uh, in an ideal world, you'd have a little bit of a balance of both. Canucks obviously don't have a ton of that, at least from what I can tell on their draft class this year. I am always, I love smart players. Every sport, I absolutely love smart players. Like, you know who has been one of my favorite pitchers to watch or was in the last number of years? I used to love watching Kyle Hendricks. <laughs> he didn't have overpowering stuff, yeah. but he went to, like, an Ivy League school, and he just knew how to pick guys apart. And I love that. Smart players, it is an advantage, even at the highest levels. Of course, you need a base of talent that still gets you there. But having the smarts to be able to, you know, find those areas of the game that are going to lead you to success, I think that is an ultra valuable thing for a team to have. And it's something that this organization in general, I think, has lacked in the last number of years. And they need to do more of bringing in players that have a high IQ and understand the game at an elite level because they just haven't had enough of it. Uh, this one, JL, is there, are there any notable examples of overagers that made it? Yeah, I mean, uh, the most notable notable one for Vancouver was uh, ben, ben Hutton, played 470 games so far in the NHL. Sean Dursey is mm-hmm. one of the ones that was a more of a recent example. He was a 19-year-old, got drafted in the second round by the Leafs and eventually traded and was traded for another second-round pick uh, this offseason by the Kings to the Arizona Coyotes and a guy that's projected to be a top-four righty defenseman for them. So I'd say that's one of the more notable ones in mm-hmm. recent years. Tanner Pearson was also drafted there as you go. a 20-year-old. You know, there's obviously going to be other examples, and, you know, it's it's not like the Canucks were the only ones to draft uh, overagers here. You know, there's there's been other ones. You had uh, Matt... Coponi, who was uh, one of the overage draft picks who? in this one. It's <laughs> a made-up name. Who? <laughs> uh, Coponi. Yeah. I know. Right. I don't know. Also, Johan Franzen. Johan Franzen, yes. I think Victor Arvidsson was an overager, and I think uh, Connor Garland as well. David Perron. You know, there's yeah. and there's obviously, you know, Brett Leeson was one that was in more recent years that didn't yes. end up turning out so well. So there's, there's always some that you look at, and... Like most things when it comes to the draft, most don't turn out. So, yes, there is a smaller chance uh, that uh, they actually do work out. We've gotten this question a couple times. Burnaby Joe and Kevin Import Moody, uh, why did Andrew Kristoff fall? Huge steal for the Capitals and extremely happy with the pick. He put up better numbers than Zach Benson and is around the same size. Yeah, great question by Kevin. And he sent the question a number of different times. So I hope you're listening while we're answering this for you, uh, Kevin. Um, it's a really good question. I'd say that 
two main things. Zach Benson's uh, work rate off the puck and work rate in terms of tenacity is at another level from Andrew Crystal. And I'd say his intelligence as a two-way player is higher as well mm-hmm. than Andrew Crystal. But I do think both have some limitations in terms of their size and their skating to some degree. But I'd say that's the main reason why Andrew Crystal fell to the second round. He lacked kind of that high-end intelligence that Zach Benson has and that real, you know, doggedness and tenacity on the puck that he plays with. Like, he's a real relentless hockey player, Zach Benson. And for a guy who's 5'9", like, he's a dog-on-a-bone player, which is what he has to be, right? But I'd say, you know, those are the two main reasons, the few main reasons why Crystal ends up going later. But an incredible offensive talent, Andrew Crystal. Yeah, um... Stick handle through a phone booth is yeah. the, the thing that he, you kind of think about when you watch any sort of highlight video of, of Andrew Crystal. It's, um, you know, when it comes to a player with that kind of offensive skill and why they're being deprioritized, obviously the skating is going to play a big factor, mm-hmm. and that's something that knocked him down draft boards. Yeah. But one of the things that made D- Benson a little bit different, too, you mentioned the competitiveness, but also a better defensive IQ and yes. showed more defensive talent as a player. And that's something, you know, when Crystal showed up at the U18s, didn't have too much success. And the playoffs with Kelowna didn't have as much success. So when he played against the top talent in his league, in his age group, you know, you didn't see as much of the high end that Crystal brought out on so many occasions with Kelowna. Yeah, and uh, like this text message says, Bedard said Crystal was the smartest player he's ever played with. And when it comes to offensive creative creativity, playing in the offensive zone on the power play and handling yeah. the puck, he's incredible. It's more about what are you doing away from it? And it comes down to this. You're not the biggest player, and if you aren't going to score all the time, what else are you doing to impact the game? And if you don't have the things that Ensign can still project to be a penalty killer, for instance, do other things. Not to say that you draft a guy high, but... Those things come into the evaluation. Well, and you're not going to be able to, like, dangle through everybody at the NHL level. No. Right? So <laughs> that's uh, part of the projection, too. And maybe maybe some guys get knocked too much for, you know, the wonder of whether or not they're going to be able to translate that skill to the higher level. This one from Just. Leading question, but do you think this team is in a position to take high-risk swings at players who are seen by other teams as project prospects? Like in terms of the third and fourth round picks, is that the question? Yeah, I think, think? That it's more. Yeah, the, the like late third one and the the fourth rounders. What's a high risk squ- swing in the in the in the later rounds? I mean, these are guys that hit at a one percent rate, pretty much. So, uh, high risk swing is honestly it's like narrative. There's, there's two different ways to look at it. Is a high risk swing like you're taking a guy that's raw, but you can see some talent. And they're a project like basically everybody that gets drafted in the fourth round is going to be a project. Yeah, I mean, it depends how you view that project. Yeah, and uh, listen, I'm, uh, this is not to, I'm not trying to, I'm not defending the team's draft picks. Yes. But what I'm trying to say is, to Dan's point, every single pick outside the first round is a high risk pick, especially like when it comes to the third and fourth rounds. Like, we went through the numbers, right? In the third round, there's a 20% chance you play in the NHL, play 200 games, and that number is inflated by guys who've played. Five, six hundred, seven hundred games, and that number gets you know if you smooth it out, you get even less. One point six percent of players drafted in a third, one point five on average, in the third and fourth round turn out to be star players. Yeah, or top six or top four defensemen. One point five percent on average. That's how few players in this, these rounds get picked. So they're all high risk and you know some very little reward to begin with, right? But I don't think it's so much about the high risk, high 
It's more about player evaluation and player evaluations at this stage. And on their board, they felt that the intelligence of these players made them more valuable commodities and players they feel like are more likely to hit than the other players available. Now, you can criticize that and it goes back to draft philosophy stuff, but I don't think it's you know about we're going to take high-risk swings because we think we know what we're doing. It's more about, hey, this is how we evaluate the, the, the draft list. You know, the... The hit rate for star players in the like third after the third or fourth round is once every five years. Yeah, a player like that hits at a star level. So, you know, you're as much as you know we can look at some of these guys like, oh, this guy's got a ton of upside. It's you know, it's really hard to nail those picks. And sometimes, you know, with a a Kirill Kaprizov, it's uh, not always the talent evaluation that leads to that player getting selected in the fifth round anyhow. Mm -hmm. Last one here from Ernest. What's the reason for the lack of trades in this year's draft? I'd love to know, Ernest. <laughs> Ernest, if you could fix that, well, you know that what? would be awesome. You know, I'll, give, I'll give my theory. Number uh, four, just tr draft picks up and down draft you mean or like NHL trades? I think it's just, just any trades. trades. Any trades. Well, NHL trades, I, I think, think a lot more of so like actual trades rather than yes. you know trading up and down at the draft i'd say the actual trades really just come down to money there's so little money and it's hard to move the cap didn't really go up and you know i think that's the biggest issue more than anything and like we talked about before look at the teams with cap space and there isn't a lot out there you know yeah. like a lot of teams are strapped up as far as movement in the draft i think part of it is it was considered a very good draft people very high on the players in this draft and what was one of the things we discussed so much everyone's going to be sitting there at their pick based on the list this year and be like, man, there's like four or five guys we really like here, but like the guy we really want is here. Let's just take them. Yeah. And teams are afraid of not taking their guys. And when a draft is really good like this and teams fall in love with a bunch of guys, they're more reluctant to move out of it. And that's what Harvey also mentioned. Others have mentioned yeah. uh, since the draft has ended that teams valued their picks this year. It was a good draft. Uh, it was a good draft. And, uh, you know, I, what I would my, – my hopeful answer to this is – Teams allowed uh, the focus to be on the draft floor. Yes. <laughs> and uh, they will get to their wheeling and dealing tomorrow and Saturday and over the weekend. But uh, my pessimistic answer is more in line with SAT. And uh, there's just not enough teams with money that are able to do business. And so you're forced to sort of make simply salary cap dump trades yeah. rather than actual hockey deals. So that's hopefully the answer but i'm shading to more that i'm hopeful actual trades get made in the next couple of days we're back four to six tomorrow we'll have frank saravalli and yannick hansen we'll have a free agency mailbag as well so be sure to tune in for that and get your questions into at satyar shah on twitter tomorrow when he prompts you for your free agency questions we're three to five tomorrow okay yes we are good thing you let me know i would have showed up an hour late for work that i want you to do good. that again. yeah don't want to do that again <laughs> don't be that guy again <laughs> uh three to five tomorrow on uh, on canucks central and saturday we're on as well starting at 10 30 getting you ready for signing season and all of the flurry of free agent signings that could happen and hopefully trades since some of the big names are already off the board when it comes to free agency. Not in this cowardly league. <laughs> For producers Elon and Josh, my co-host Sad, I'm Dan. You've been listening to Canuck Central.